Welcome to Created for Connection, the podcast created to let you know that if you are a leader in a church or a pastor and you struggle, you are not alone. We all need deep, life-giving relationships, and church leaders are no exception. Most of us are afraid of truly letting people share in our struggles because of the possible consequences. At the same time, we all have a desire to be truly known. I'm Kevin Shelby, and in this first episode, my co-host Paul McMullen and I have a conversation that introduces some helpful ideas to answer the question. When church leaders find themselves isolated in the midst of struggling with addiction, marital issues, spiritual crises, or mental health difficulties, where do they go? So grab a cup of coffee, listen in, and remember, you are not alone. Hey everybody, welcome to the Created for Connection podcast. I'm Kevin Shelby and I'm here with my co-host Paul McMullen. Hey everyone. And uh, we wanted to just take some time to to have a conversation and let you listen in on some things that we've been kicking around and thinking about for a couple of years now, specifically related to the way that that leaders struggle. There are some things that we have learned along the way through our years of experience with the church and being in leadership positions uh, that we really wanted to shed some light on so that this can be a resource for people who are walking uh, in a similar journey as we are. Yeah. Kevin, what are some of the hats you wear right now? Um, So I am a professor of counseling for Harding University. It's a small Christian school in Arkansas. Uh, I actually, though, teach on the Memphis campus, and so I'm here in Memphis. Additionally, I am a um, a licensed professional counselor with a private practice where I see people from all walks of life dealing with all different types of struggles from marital struggles to trauma. So I kind of run the gambit with, with the people that I work with and have also had struggles all along the way personally, as I have worn those different hats. So you're saying, you're saying that you can be a counselor and a professor and you actually, you still (laughs) might struggle with the things that you, you teach and counsel people on. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm probably going to get fired after, after this first episode. (laughs) look, I think that that's, that's the point of this podcast, you know? And so, um, what you're saying is right on that. Uh, we all need to know that we're, we're fellow strugglers in this journey, even if we're in places of leadership. So what about you, Paul? What are, what are you involved in these days? So yeah, my experience has been in, uh, the world of church planning and, uh, my wife and I moved to, uh, moved to Canada and were supported as missionary church planners, uh, for several years. And then we've church planted, uh, in the States and a couple different places. But so I've been, I've been wearing that church planner, um, minister hat, um, for about 15 years. And, uh, right now I am, uh, working to launch a ministry support uh, that uses process groups that hopefully connects leaders uh, so that we can kind of process life together and work through some of the stuff that hopefully we're going to be talking about on this podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. And I actually am involved in one of those process groups right now. And it's been it's been an amazing experience to 
have a place to open up and share, you know, just kind of some of the things that go on emotionally. So Paul, I, I'd like to hear from you just kind of on the tail end of some of the things you were sharing with, with starting into process groups. We want to give the 50,000 foot overview here of why we're doing this podcast. So that's what this whole episode is about. And I'd love for you to take a minute to talk about why are you even interested in having this conversation? Yeah. Um, you know, I think so many of the passions that we end up having uh, in our lives connect very deeply to the experiences that each of us have. And so in my journey um, as a leader in, in, in churches and in, um, in church plants, you know, I went through a process where uh, I had to, I had to kind of come to grips with some of the places of brokenness in my own life and seek out help for that and, and realize how isolated I felt in that roles. And it was just interesting, the more that I started to seek out help and, and to share what I was feeling as a leader, uh, I, was, I noticed I wasn't alone. In fact, it seemed to be really common that uh, a lot of people were wrestling with things and were, didn't know where to share those. So the, the idea that we were feeling isolated uh, not necessarily that people are, don't have community or good friendships, but those parts of ourselves we don't want to share, those seem to get pushed underground, especially when you're in a leadership role in a Christian environment where people are looking to you for answers, for spiritual direction, for counsel, uh, for teaching and training. You really feel more pressure to hide those parts of you that you don't have figured out, uh, where you don't have the answers um, where you're struggling. And so the more that I've walked into this, you know, away from that sense of isolation into more vulnerability, the more that I've noticed that there's, a, I'm not alone in that. In fact, I think that this, this theme of, of feeling isolated in these leadership roles is really something that's kind of its own sort of pandemic in, in the Western church, as far as what I've been able to notice. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that is interesting, too. You mentioned the pandemic, that the isolation people have experienced mirrors what we're probably living in our personal lives already. And in some ways, it's just kind of maybe caused people to have to confront that, which is because the distractions are gone. Have you heard the quote? I think it's uh, Pascal that said the, the world's problems could be solved if people could just sit by themselves alone in a room for 10 minutes. And and it's like the pandemic is forcing us in many ways to have more time alone. And yet when we're alone, um, often we, we have that chance uh, to feel and to think about things that we haven't uh, gotten to experience because we're so busy with life normally. And a lot of those things we don't want to face. A lot of those things are ugly. They, the stuff that rises up in you when you start to uh, have more quiet moments. And at least for me, I know that instead of dealing with those things, it's much easier. It's easier to pick up the phone and play a game or look at stocks, or it's easier to, uh, you know, binge watch another net Netflix show or whatever else it is. And those are just the safe things I feel like sharing with you that I might do that would just kind of put a bandaid on that stuff that I just don't really want to deal with. Yeah. So the problem, one, people are isolated in their ability to share what they're struggling with, but they're also maybe disconnected from themselves to the point that they dive into these 
continuous distractions that prevent them from ever taking a look at it. And then if they do, they're still not going to be able to share it with anybody. Certainly. And I think that's the case for everybody. But I also think that becomes exacerbated, particularly in a church situation. We can be so busy working with other people's problems and issues that we ignore our own. Um, and we feel like it's it's wrong even to focus on ourselves and what we might be facing or that we we kind of belittle that and say other people's issues need more attention uh, for me to be a good uh, minister, for me to be a good leader, I need to focus on other people and not on myself. And that ends up creating its own issues. Yeah, no, I think that's very well said. And so then what do you think ministers and people in leadership positions typically do? What I've seen is that there just are very few safe places to really bring this stuff up. And so most of the time, we don't do anything. We put our nose down and we push ahead until we are burnt out and we leave ministry, causing destruction in our lives and our families and in our churches. And you only have to look I mean, particularly at the kind of the, the mega church world and the, the news that comes out, you know, multiple times a year about another person that we looked up to and trusted um, that has had some kind of moral failing just to see that this is an issue that only grows the bigger the position, the, the larger the, the area of leadership is, the pressure to hide those parts of us, I think, only uh, become larger. Yeah. And so instead of us being able to find counseling because you've got depression or anxiety or an addiction, we end up feeling stuck. Yeah. And the part of the problem is that um, in these leadership roles, you're being paid to not just do something, not just uh, minister in a certain way. You're being paid to lead out in morality, in, in ethical issues. You're being paid to be an example by the life that you live. And not only is the, the role put pressure on you, but your paycheck puts pressure on you. And so sometimes the fear might be, if I shared this part of me, not only might I lose esteem, I might lose, lose my job. And then what am I supposed to do? But then you're also losing your community, the people that you're walking closest with. So there's pressure just kind of builds up in that environment. And it's no wonder that people would choose to stuff their problems rather than deal with them. Yeah. I mean, I think that hits the nail on the head just with what our challenges are as people who are supposed to reflect what we're trying to teach others to do. And one of the big fears is being a hypocrite and, and not just a, a hypocrite, but someone who is like kind of despicable because you can't get over your own struggles and you're telling other people um, not to do certain things, right? Not to engage in certain behaviors. Right. Who are you to tell me this? If, if this is the reality in your life, you know, I know, Kevin, that in your work and in your teaching, you've thought a lot about this. What have you learned as you've studied and taught about this dynamic that happens in everybody's life um, that helps you frame what's going on? I think that's a great question. To give just a small little background to this, one of the things that, that I really have endeavored to do is to create a model of counseling that's based in scripture, but it's not only for people who want to sit there and listen to you quote scripture so that I can, you know, speak into people's lives who are all along that spectrum. 
right. You don't want to put people off by <laughs> either either being too biblical where, where they, they feel like you're not actually speaking to them, um, but you also want to show like you've got this theological depth to what you're talking about. Right. So in order to do that, I, I really did a deep dive with Scripture to look at, okay, what does Scripture have to say about human nature? Right, because that's one of those questions that we're always asking in in the counseling field. When you're looking at theories, you're asking yourself, "What does this theory have to say about human nature? What is the condition of man?" And and so uh, and there's lots of different theological perspectives about what does Scripture have to say about the condition of man. So in order to understand that, you go all the way back to the beginning, right? And, and I think that we we have our best look at man's created state, the, the, the way he was intended to be in Genesis 2. That is, that's our, our best look at it, particularly starting in Genesis 2 and then, you know, kind of wraps up in 3 where it talks about the story of humanity and how humanity fits into the creation story. When you look at that closely, you realize the story of Adam and Eve um, is our story. Um, it's one that when we look at it, we should, we should be able to, like any good story, be able to put ourselves in the place of the actors and say, okay, where do I fit? So when I see mm. the story of Adam and Eve unfold, I see two people who, first of all, God says to Adam, or says about Adam, it's not good for him to be alone. And no suitable partner is found in all of creation. And so he creates a partner, one that actually fits together with him uniquely, um, physically, emotionally, spiritually, all of that. And when you get to the end of Genesis 2, it says that uh, Adam and Eve were naked and they felt no shame. And what it means is there's, there's innocence, and there is connection. There's no need for any separation between the two of them. So that is how humanity is created to be, which when I look at that, I, I can't draw any other conclusion than that human beings in our created state, we are good. We are created with a deep sense of who God is, and, and the value of the people around us, right? So you've gone back all the way to the creation story to see, okay, who, who are we? Um, why, how does this explain <laughs> where we find ourselves in this moment? So when you read the creation story and you think about the isolation that you see in leaders' lives, what connection do you see? Yeah, so just to maybe finish what happens in Genesis 3 is that, you know, the serpent in, enters the picture. And, and really, this is, this is part of the story that is so important in understanding why we find ourselves in the condition that we do. And so the serpent enters the, enters the scene and offers Eve something that is not hers to take. So she takes this fruit for herself. And what she's really doing is she's saying, I want the one thing, God, 
that you have reserved for yourself in this whole creation. I want the ability to say for myself what is good and bad. And it's in that moment that everything starts to fall apart, that there is a cascade of events that creates separation. Now you find Adam and Eve hiding, right? They're in the garden. Now they're hiding and they're clothed, which means they're separated from one another. There is division now between the two of them and there's division between them and God. And what's interesting, Paul, is it actually says at the end of Genesis 2, when they were naked and unashamed, that there's an implication there in scripture that it is their vulnerability that is, is preventing shame from entering in, right? Like that is the, that, that's the protective layer around them, okay? And so now they're, they're, they're hiding and they are clothed. And so now the implication is their shame. Shame is shame has come right along with it. And so what what you see happen here is a fracture in relationship that ends up causing murder, it causes injustice in a in a line of people that goes all the way throughout history, right? So how does that apply to leaders? I would say if you find yourself in a state of hiding and you're covered up with shame, the goal is not to keep trying to take for yourself what you will not get on your own. It is to turn around and try to work from Genesis 3 to Genesis 2 from a place of hiding and clothed to a, to a place of naked and unashamed. Part of what I, I wonder keeps us isolated is, is that sense of hypocrisy of, particularly among leaders, um, people look to me as a good person. People look to me as a spiritual person. And so if I've got this part of me that, doesn't feel good that looks ugly and sinful and broken um it just doesn't jive with how i want to be i want to be seen because i i feel really bad about that yeah i completely agree and i think that the the sad thing is is that it just leaves them continuing to be in a place of isolation over and over and over again, it leaves them hiding, which means they're not known, not fully. And I, I think when you talk about vulnerability, it's not just that I share my struggle with you. It's that I let you walk the journey of my struggle with you. And that only comes through intimacy, which is the, ba- the most basic definition that I can give of that is knowing and being known. And, and that means that you know me and I know you on a, on a core level. So, Kevin, you know, if, if I'm a leader in a church, undoubtedly I've taught the creation story <laughs> multiple times. You know, I'm well aware of, uh, of the connection of sin and shame. Um, why, why have we ended up, I mean, why do our lives as leaders 
play that story out so like to the T where um, we just seem disconnected from other. I mean, it's, it's one thing to say leadership can be lonely just because it's a responsibility, but it's another thing to say, no, we're isolated a lot because um, we, we can't open ourselves up to others. We can't trust others with that because of the system we put in place. Why, how is it, <laughs> why has it gotten to this, this point in, in the church? Because we have a system that says, like you talked about earlier, that the one thing that is the vehicle out of the shame and out of the hiding is not possible because your job and your, your livelihood and your relationships depend on it, right? And that is vulnerability. I think we have created a culture in, in church where our leaders cannot be vulnerable. And it is, it has been devastating. You know, you look at people that have been in the news lately, like Robbie Zacharias and, you know, there's, I uh, can't remember the pastor's name that um, led Justin Bieber to Christ, but, you know, he had some sexual scandals, um, you know, and, and I, I don't sit in any place of judgment with those guys, but only like compassion that man how did the church miss giving them an opportunity for vulnerability? There had to have been some point along the way where they broke down and probably many points along the way where they broke down and begged God to help them give up this sin struggle that they had. And they just couldn't do it because they kept trying to do it on their own probably. And I find it interesting that, and I know certainly not every case is like that, but, but, so much of it has to do with sexuality and the misuse of sex, which ultimately is there's a lot of shame wrapped up in that, but there's also um, there's a, a, a desire for connection that plays out in sex and addiction to sex. And so it's like, it's like we've, we've got these leaders that are end up being isolated and, um, and are looking for connection that they're not allowed to have because they can't be vulnerable anymore. And so they're, they're hiding this part of themselves and looking for connection uh, through sex in all these different shameful places, which just reiterates this cycle of uh, hiding that need more and more. But it's like we're, they're trying to connect. They're trying to be able to have this heart level physical connection with somebody. Um, and, and there's a whole lot that goes into that. And, uh, particularly in a, in a, when these guys are, are married uh, in the first place. But uh, I just see that, um, that desire for connection playing out in the sexual behavior. Because I, I think, Paul, we're asking, we're all kind of asking one question or, or some version of it. And that is, if you really knew me, if you knew all of it, would you love me? I think the fear is that we're going to hear no, but our hearts long to hear a yes. And when we share from those places of depth within, those places that I would say are at our core, and someone looks back at us and they, they say, I love you, that's where the healing comes from that's where our ability to move back from genesis 3 to 2 happens 
and it, and it's in the answering of that question with God as well that you talk about those quiet moments those quiet moments are opportunities for God to say yes to us. I do love you and I do accept you. Yeah. We're not just talking about this need to have confession, <laughs> confessionals with leaders um, where they go and confess what they've done wrong. It's, it's deep relationships where we can share the parts of ourselves that end up pushing us towards those behaviors that cause destruction in our lives, the unmet needs that, that all of us feel and, and have um, that, that we need to be able to bring out into the open. We need to have trusted people that can help us uh, feel those things and, and find healthy outlets to meet those needs instead of having to figure it all out on our own, which ends up just kind of being a, a hunting ground for uh, our, our enemy to wreak havoc on us. You know, I think about my role in church planting and in ministry and how my motives um, uh, for that, it's not a simple picture of all my motives were bad or all my motives were good. But um, as I've done some work on uh, what kind of pushed me into different ministry opportunities, um, there's definitely a sense of wanting to wanting to please God, but also not wanting to disappoint God and feeling sometimes like a disappointment or like I'm not enough. And that, you know, maybe he's, uh, maybe he's really upset with me for, for how, for who I really am inside. And maybe the bad things that happen in my church are my fault because I know the real me and everybody else doesn't. And there's a lot of mind games that I've played in the past with, how I imagine God views me, even though I, I cognitively know, oh, he knows me better than anybody else. Um, but to go to that, that place of God knows me right now and loves me and, and wants me, you know, not just, not just love, you know, God is love. So of course he has to love me, but no, God wants me right now. He wants me for his son. He wants me to be in communion with him. He wants to speak to me. Um, and, and he's not, uh, he's not just out to get me or to, to get me to make up for all the bad things that I've thought and said and done. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that's beautiful. And I would say, you know, that's an example of at least what I believe to be true. And that is that all healing comes through relationship. There isn't any emotional healing we're going to experience outside of a relationship. You don't just, you don't just do some self-help thing and all of a sudden you've, you've had a heart level healing, right? It comes through hearing words from the father. It comes through hearing words from our friends. It comes through hearing words from a counselor and all of that happens in the unhiding process for us. Yeah. I heard a, a, a Christian counselor um, named Dennis Devaye. He, he was analyzing Ephesians 4, and he was saying, you know, part of what's apparent in this chapter is that we are hurt because of people. Like, people hurt us, and, and, and we also believe in, in a spiritual enemy that works through that and, and hurts us through people, too. 
but we're also healed through people. We're healed through relationship. And so both our place of brokenness and our place of healing both end up coming through relationship, which is part of why life is such a messy thing, but we can't, we can't go it alone and we can't just read a book um, or listen to a podcast or a sermon or whatever. And for, and things will be fixed inside of us. No. And that's why it's, it's important that when we seek out these vulnerable relationships, these intimate relationships, that they happen in a context of safety and belonging, a place where we, we have spent enough time laying the foundation to know that this is a person who I can risk being vulnerable with rather than expecting, like I said earlier, every person I come into contact with, I've got to build this really deep relationship with. And I think that's what, that's where leaders really struggle because most of their relationships are inside their church circles and they're wearing two hats. They're wearing the minister hat and they're wearing the, they're trying to also wear the friend hat with a few folks. And, and those are relationships that they're never going to be able to be fully, fully vulnerable in unless it's a super unique situation. Right. From what I've seen, you know, I, I want to, uh, you know, I think that there's, there are Christian leaders that again, they, they are so much more theologically <laughs> um, brilliant than I am. And um, they know so much about scripture. They can explain all of these things in depth from a, a biblical basis. Um, and so sometimes it might seem kind of simplistic to talk about just uh, our own internal voices of, am I good enough? Am I pleasing God? And, and you want to just answer, of course. Um, but what I've found over and over again, Kevin, is that the reality is whether we're doctors or uh, we're lay people in the church, um, whether we, you know, we, we do a very simple job uh, or we, we do something that people find very complex. Um, these heart level issues, these very simple statements about what do we really believe deep down really do drive who we are in our behavior and, and what we wrestle with and what we don't. And so I, I, I just am thinking that as we're describing this and describing the Genesis story, yes, it's a lot of familiar territory, but really the 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 meat of life the depth of life is getting down to these very basic statements of am i am i loved or not am i if i share the real me am i okay um how are you going to respond how are you going to accept me or reject me and um i just i that is there and i don't want anybody to um I've denied that in my life. I don't want others to to think that that's not in their life too. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think at the end of the day, you know, it's important for us to just to identify that we are always experiencing this barrage of accusations from the enemy so that we will believe we have an identity that we, or so that we'll accept an identity that isn't true of us. And, and, at, and what God would want us to hear, or I think, I can't speak for him, but I think that this is true, 
is the same thing he spoke to his son. You know, it's, I mean, it's these three things. I love you. Or you're my son, number one. I love you. And I'm pleased in you. A lot of times we think it, we expect it to be reversed. You know, I'm pleased with you. Therefore, I love you. Therefore, I'll let you be my son. But that's not what he says. He gives him an identity that says, you are my son. And any of us that have kids or someone we're deeply close to who we see and they don't have to do a thing to earn what love we want to give them. That's what he's saying. You're my son who I love and I'm well pleased in you, right? That's the identity that he wants for us to take on. And that only comes through a lifelong journey of intimate connection with him and with others. Yes. Yes. And that's why, I mean, to me, uh, the idea of the gospel, it's something that I need to hear on a daily basis. I need, because I, I need to believe it on a daily basis. Those, those are the things that in my, in, in my, in those days where, um, I'm really wrestling internally, I don't fully believe those things. And, and I need to, I need to have help from other people to help me um, know that that is true, that that is reality. And then that is how God feels about me. And that that's how other people uh, experience me as me, me as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a lot more here to unpack. We could, we could go to each thing that we've covered very broadly and, and go more in depth. And I think we should, you know, because it, it can be helpful, but I also don't want this to just be like, Hey, everybody, we've got the answer because really our answer is, is to ask people to risk something that um, they've avoided because of their fear of what will happen if they, if they try it, you know? Um, and it's not the answer. It doesn't fix us as people, right? And I, I think that's that's kind of the place that I'd want us to end the conversation to say, like, I'm not suggesting, and I don't think you are, Paul, that if we have these vulnerable connections, that means we'll stop ever doing any of these, you know, numbing behaviors ever again. And that, that's just not true. You know, but I think who we allow, how we allow our thinking and our, our attitude towards ourselves and towards God to be shaped differently around those struggles, it will change. And we'll start to experience what I think Paul was referring to when he, when he talked about freedom in Christ. Yeah, I, I, I think that's exactly right. And I think I think about our growth as disciples, and this is, to me, it's a relational area of discipleship. It's, it's how am I moving at more out of isolation where the enemy wants me and more into connection um, because life is always going to be presenting difficulties and I'm not going to be perfected <laughs> until, uh, until the age to come when Jesus perfects me. And so I'm going to be in continuous need of the types of relationships and spaces where people are filling uh, my life with the good things that God has. And so 
to me, it's, it's a, it's a way of continuing to develop as a disciple of Jesus, learning how to put these things into practice that at least for leaders, I think we just assume are already there. And unfortunately they're just not. Yeah. Um, I mean, also if they are there and available, there's a lot of challenges to, to finding it, you know? So I'll just tell this last story as we're wrapping up here. Cause I think it's a, it's helpful hopefully to people, but you know, um, I wanted to start doing some counseling a couple years ago. And so I started looking around and I, the, the first question I had of myself was how do I find a counselor in a, a small community of counselors, you know, in Memphis. And because I mean, some of the challenges were that, you know, like what if I walk into a counseling practice and I'm sitting in the lobby and, you know, I see somebody that I've co-taught a Bible class with, you know, on, on counseling issues or whatever. It's like, Hey, what are you doing here? You know? And I mean, so there's some fear associated with that. Like this could actually hurt me on a professional level because I I'm seen as, Oh, you, you need counseling. You're a counselor. You know, it took me two years to finally find somebody that I could go see that had no ties to anyone else in my community. Um, and that was somebody that I would really trust to, to meet with, you know? And so I, I would imagine that ministers are finding themselves in a very similar position, you know? Yes. Yes. And, um, there's so much to say on that, but I, I just hope I I've really enjoyed, uh, this big overview of the topic today and some of the theology behind it from Genesis. And, um, I know that part of our hope in this, Kevin, is that, uh, we're able to invite people in that have stories that, that can be shared about, uh, parts of their life as leaders that they would, uh, that maybe they've, they've hid at times and that now they're, they're finding some freedom to share and, and say, this is what my experience has been. This is how I'm able to, to, uh, have connection in the midst of what I'm going through and just, uh, just to see, um, pictures of what it might look like, uh, to live into what we're talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that we, uh, we need to have people that others can hear from. And what people are going to get first from us too is our own journey and our own story. And I think that that will be benefit for that will be beneficial for them to hear that as well. So, Paul, thanks for having the conversation with me today, and thank you all who have decided to to listen to this. And hopefully, it was helpful to you. So, thank you guys. Thanks, Paul. Yeah. Thanks, Kevin. See you next time. Thank you for joining us in this first episode of Created for Connection. We hope that you enjoyed the conversation and that you'll listen in on future conversations that we will be having with other church leaders and ministers and preachers and pastors, people that have been walking through ministry and dealing with struggles of their own. Please subscribe to our podcast and also check out the show notes for any updates of upcoming interviews that you can be ready for.
Again, we thank you for joining us and we hope you have a very blessed day. Remember, you are not alone.